Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we start this episode, could you do me a favor? Could you rate and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts? And also, could you subscribe to our YouTube channel? That's at youtube.com slash by the hood. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to everyone and anyone who supports anything that we do. Special shout out to all the students from By the Hood University. Um, my brother Corey isn't here today. He had some work to do, but we're going to hold it down nonetheless. And as you know, our, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work building businesses, just putting positive energy out there. And the sister that we have with us is doing just that. She is a real estate entrepreneur. She's a mother. She's a TikTok legend too, by the way. I want to tell her that. <laughs> but without further ado, we got Janelle Wilson. Janelle, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? How are you doing? Hey, you know, Instagram too, but you be killing TikTok though. Don't get it twisted. Like I, I see us. Well, you create stuff that are like. I got two videos on there. I can't do two platforms at once. Well, I, gotta know, I guess, I guess it's reels. It's reels. Let me say reels then. Yeah. Not TikTok, but reels. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. So reels. Yeah. You kill reels. Like you, um, you, you know, you're They're real- fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said though, let's talk about your, uh, your past, your upbringing. Um, so where are you originally from? Born, raised and all that kind of stuff. I'm from New Jersey. I lived in Willingboro. Um, you know, it's like a black suburb of, of New Jersey. A lot of black professionals move there when they make it. Um, my dad was an occupational therapist. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and we lived a pretty good life. I had fancy birthday parties. Um, my, uh, my mom did hair and um, that was my childhood. Um, fortunately, I say life happened to my dad and kind of lost everything. I wound up moving in with my grandmother. My mom got an apartment with my sister. I went back to my apartment and my life changed drastically. Um, my grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness, so she was very strict. I went from lavish birthday parties to no birthday parties, no Christmas, no any of that stuff. So it was, it was shocking for, for you know, a 10 year old. Um, even though I had food in my belly, clothes on my back, it was still very traumatizing. I missed my parents. Um, I cried on a regular basis, but eventually I accepted my new life and I started this journey where I learned discipline, I believe. She gave me lots of chores. I made my bed every day, had to do the dishes, had to help in the yard. Um, And I learned a lot from her. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but Mm -hmm. I appreciated it later. She owned her own business. She was a cosmetologist. Um, I helped her doing her taxes. I would count her money at the end of the night. And she just, she taught me a lot. Um, wow. And then I, uh, I, I, I liked the shampoos and the salons. I had a passion for personal products. So I went into school for engineering. I was going to major in chemistry, but I went for engineering. And I didn't get a job with Johnson Johnson like I wanted to, but I started working for the USDA as an engineer. And at the same time, I bought my first property and you know, the rest is history. That's interesting. So she kind of uh, prepared you without, you know, I guess in retrospect, she prepared you for what you're doing today in terms of entrepreneurship, also responsibility, discipline, the whole nine. And yep. it's, it's funny how that happens. You don't, you know, um, appreciate it until later when you get older and recognize. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's what's lacking with a lot of kids now, like 
when she was growing up, she lived on a farm. And so she had a ton of chores every day. She was the oldest. She had to take care of all her brothers and sisters. So she had a lot of responsibility. And she taught the same thing to me. And I, whenever I see her, I always thank her for you know the life that she gave me, the Christian principles that she instilled in me, because that really formed who I am today. Oh, man, that's an amazing story. You got me ready to tear up over here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about this uh, uh, scholastic journey, though. So you said you went to engineering. Uh, what school did you go to? I went to Rutgers, you know, from New Jersey. So Rutgers is a state university. I got pretty much a full ride um, and I got, I was the combination of smart and poor. So I got grants and scholarships and they paid for everything. Oh, that's nice. I mean, that's a, that, 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 um, man, listen, you got a, a chemistry or excuse me, engineering degree. Yeah. Without no debt. That's no debt. No debt. It was a huge start. I, I didn't realize how big of a jump it gave me because I was able to start working and start investing my money immediately. And I mean, I applied to other schools, but I went to Rutgers because they gave me the most money. I was always money conscious. I didn't want to get loans. And so I was able to go to school for free. And that was um, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. And I think that's um something else to talk about the uh, our next generation is to when we when we're looking at schools to look at that money right to be strategic and yeah. how we pay for it there's a lot of grants yeah. and things out there that we don't even apply for scholarship yep i applied for so many scholarships i applied for everything and because of that i didn't work at all during school and i could i mean i shouldn't have because because engineering is a really hard um curriculum and mm -hmm. so i was able to just focus on school and not have to work because i had those scholarships I got a refund check. And so I lived off my refund check throughout the year. I paid my phone bill in advance. I didn't, um, because I lived with my grandmother, she didn't have like a lavish life. I didn't know about buying expensive clothes. So I didn't buy anything expensive. I just wore, you know, sweats and jeans every day to school. So I had a, a relatively cheap life, a frugal life. Okay. All right. So now once you finished school um, with your degree in, in, in engineering, where did you, uh, did you go work in the corporate world? I worked for the USDA. Um, a lot of the corporate jobs in engineering were in North Jersey. And I didn't really want to stay up there. I didn't have a place to live. Um, so I got a job out here in Pennsylvania in Winmore for the, working for the USDA. And my family is full of government employees. My aunt was for DA, my cousin's at the DEA, VA, like it's at least 10 of us in okay. different departments of the government. And so I was always taught that the government was nice and secure. You got benefits, you can't get fired. And so I just followed along with my family's journey and worked for the government. And, and it was, it was very secure. It wasn't really that hard. Um, and it, it allowed me some time to invest in real estate on the side. I was about to ask you that because like, you know, I, I'll, you know, be very transparent. I, I've only worked at one corporate job, which was J and J. I actually worked for Johnson and Johnson, but oh. after that I had worked um, a government job, but one of the things that that helped me do, and I want to say this is kind of your journey too, is get approved for loans when I was starting to build my real estate portfolio because they looked at those government jobs the same way that yep. everybody else does, sure. right? So yep. they'll start to give you those loans. Is that kind of how it played out for you? Yeah, I mean, later on, I realized that that was really all it was good for. Once I add, like if I add up all the years that I worked, all the money that I made, it wasn't really a lot of money. Um, but what it did do is get me qualified for loans. And you know how they say the government jobs are cushy? They really are. And if you're someone who works hard, like like I did, um, I, I used to get like a, a raise every year. Like I, I would get the step increases and I'll get the little bonuses. But, you know, I could finish all my work by like noon and then go focus on real estate. And I, I could look up properties and check my bank accounts and check everything and call up on people. So it allowed me the freedom to be able to, to do that. So I was like, I'm going to do both as long as I can. Yeah, that's kind of a cheat code, all right? You know, so that helps you get approved for those loans. Yep. Um, 
But I guess the question I have is when you were first starting out, where did you get the idea to even get into real estate? Because a lot of people, when they get their cushy government job, they just fall back right there. So where did you even get the idea or the aspiration? Yeah, I was lucky that my dad, when he was doing good, he had bought two properties. Um, so I, I I knew about two when I was young. One of them was right across the street from my grandmother. He had another one on 52nd Street that unfortunately that one got lost. Um, they both probably both the sheriffs at the same time. And I didn't know about the other one because uh, the one that I got was across the street from my grandmother. So she noticed when it was going off for sheriff's sale. So um, he had that property and I always remember him, him, him going across the street and getting money. And I've always been in tune to money since I was a kid. I've always been a saver. So it always stuck in my mind that, you know, house across street yields money. So I had already had a real estate bug kind of in my ear, even though I had forgotten about it all those years um, while I was in school and in college, I forgot. I didn't think about it. But um, when the house was going up for share sale, I decided to save it. Even though I didn't really know what to do at the time. I saved it. I paid it back taxes. Um, it was going to get demolished. I I fixed all the violations and um, I still didn't know what to do. I was getting all these estimates and I was going to sell it because I didn't know how else to you know, fix it. I didn't, have, I didn't have enough money. I had, I had used my student loan and credit cards at the time. So um, someone had offered to buy it for $45,000 and it was total rehab. Like I said, it was like, you could see the sky, wall was collapsing. And I was like, do they know like the condition of it? And it was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it just made me think like, if someone's willing to pay $45,000 for this property, then that means I should keep it. So and I said, I was just gonna figure it out. And it's like exactly what happened. I'm, because my mom's a hairdresser. I was in her salon and one of her customers had a house around the corner and she got it. She got a, um, a refinance loan. They did a drive-by appraisal and it appraised for $75,000. And she got a line of credit from Wells Fargo or it was Wachovia at the time, I think. I don't remember, but um, anyway, yeah, it was it was Belcovia. but uh, I did the same thing. I fixed up the outside of the house. They did a drive-by appraisal. Thank goodness, it was this was in two thousand four, <laughs> um, and I got a loan for sixty-three thousand dollars. Unfortunately, I had a mortgage on it, water bills, all kinds of stuff on it. So I wound up walking away about twenty thousand dollars, and I took that money and I used that to, to fix it up. I had the regular contractor drama. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was done, um, I put two section tenants in there and it started cashing about $700. And then it was like, what? Real estate? <laughs> Let me buy another one. a bug caught you then. Yes, yes. So I, I realized how fortunate I was to learn early. You know, a lot of people don't learn about it till later. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I had the foresight to keep my dad's property. I'm glad it was right there in front of my grandmother. Like everything just happened so perfectly. Me finding out about the home equity loan, the drama that I went through. I learned so much on that property. I learned so much. I dealt with the city. I dealt with the, I had neighbor issues. I had every kind of issue that you could have on a property. So I learned a lot. I'm, I'm thankful for the experience. Well, that was your education. The first one was your education. Yes, it was because I paid more than what it was worth. So people try to say, "Oh, he gave you." Like, no, I worked for that property, but um, I got I gained the perspective. That's that's what it did for me. But yeah. Okay, so you caught the bug, and then you were like, you know, how can I do this again and grab more yep. properties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, that's that's an interesting story. Uh, it's actually a pretty amazing story because everything happens for a reason, and it all lined yeah. up for you. Yeah, it all lined up for you. So with that being said, one of the things, you know, I, I, I was talking about earlier how, you know, you're on reels and you kill the reels. Uh, I got to start my reels game up after, you know, watching your reels. But um, you talk a lot in your reels about your ability to leverage credit and um, and things like that. You talked about doing that even with your first deal using credit cards, right? Yeah. I mean, that was all I knew at the time. Um, I knew about credit cards. Sorry. Now, now you seem to have that down pack, how to leverage credit the right way. 
who taught you that or how'd you pick that up? Was that something you learned along the journey or a mentor or something? Well, I've always been in the money. I've been a saver ever since I was young. I had my first big account at seven. And so I've always been in tune. I've always read books. So I've always been very financially savvy. I know about, um, I mean, I learned more, you know, whenever I would log into work, the first thing I would go was to Yahoo Finance and I would just read articles. I read a Susie Orman book because my, my aunt had a Susie Orman book. I read that. Um, my grandmother watched CNN all the time. And so when they would have people on there, I saw a guest, his name was David Bach. And he did a book on the automatic millionaire. Automatic and millionaire, yeah. Yeah, so I, that was one of the first books that I read. And so I just learned about, you know, having a savings, having a 401k, you know, all the all the regular stuff that they teach you in personal finance. I learned about, you know, making sure about interest rates, you know, amortizations, like all these things that people don't really learn about. I learned about it really, really early. So I took that knowledge. I have a strong base in personal finance. I took that and applied it to real estate. You know, people sometimes when I get into arguments about money, they say, you know, you do this great thing in real estate, but you know, you should stay in your lane. I'm like, no, I know money, but I apply it to real estate because it seems like the best vehicle for me where you can apply your regular foundational um, principles and make a lot of money in real estate. So I feel like I know a, a generalized thing about investing in money, but I apply it to real estate. And that's how I can use leverage because I'm very familiar with it. I know how to control it. I know how to use it. I respect it. And um, you know, with real estate, as long as you keep a tenant in there, you keep your tenant happy, the money will keep flowing. Nice. Do you invest in anything else at all? Uh, I, I bought some Dogecoin. I sold it. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty much it. We're going to leave crypto alone. No crypto. <laughs> Um, I'm not really a stock market person because okay. I, I like having control. I just feel like it's gambling. And I don't I don't really want to put the time in to learn about companies. I'm someone who invests off, off of the fundamentals. So I don't want to be a technical trader who goes, who buys a dip. You know, I just, I want to know for sure about a company and know when it's undervalued and I will buy it and sell if it, you know, get, gets okay. above value. No, actually, so, that's that's an amazing answer, right? Um, you, you, you know what it is you want to do, right? So you know, I was just joking about the crypto because everybody knows I love crypto and real estate. Yeah. That's the thing. But <laughs> but I do, I respect that answer because what you said is you don't have the time to, to dedicate to it, right? Yeah. And if you're going to be in it, you have to study it. Unless yeah. You know, but anything it. you invest in, you really have to take the time to learn. And it's mm -hmm. not that hard. You just have to take the time. People want to get rich quick. They want to buy the dip, but you need to really learn what you're buying and investing and making sure you're buying at a good price. That is a key, buying things that are undervalued. And in real estate, it's easy because it's not like there's a certain price per square foot. There's always someone who's in distress. Like there's always areas that are that are like a hidden gem. So there's always stuff you can buy as long as you can learn value and have a good eye to spot it. Now, you've got a, a, a long career in real estate at this point. Let me ask you this question, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, and everybody has a different answer to this. Like, you know, we talk about all the great parts of real estate. What is the part is the most annoying to you in real estate, right? Because some people will say dealing with tenants, my personal thing is I hate all contractors. Um, so for you though, what, what, what do you think has been like, you know, um, the biggest struggle is something that, you know, uh, that you, you know, one of the negatives. Well, the, probably the biggest struggle for me is I'm an older millennial. So I don't really like technology. So oh, it's been wow. hard for me to get into the systems. Um, but I realized it's really what I needed to scale. When I hit about 40 units, I couldn't keep track of it in my head anymore. And I had to employ the systems and I've been struggling with it. Uh, so we have a, a property management software and I hate putting stuff in there. I hate having to do this. I really enjoy when it was all in my head. So um, that's really the only part. I don't mind the contractors. I don't mind the tenants. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's the only part. That's a, all right, scaling it up. You must got some good contractors. I need to let figure out who your contractors are. But anyway, um, you talk about scaling. So how many properties are you guys up to now? Uh, I don't know between the two of us. Between the two of us, we probably have almost 200 units. About 200 um, units, right? So yeah. it sounds to me in the beginning like you were kind of hands-on, like at the properties and knowing who your tenants are and things like that. Like how, how does that work when you're scaling? Because I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, you don't even know all your tenants at this point. Um, the only reason why I don't know the recent ones is because I hired um, an in-house property manager and it feels really weird to hear her say names. And I'm like, who is that? Because <laughs> I'm used to knowing everyone. Everyone knows that I'm the owner too. Like I don't play those games. Like I, I, I don't. So it is very strange for me and it feels like I don't have control over things and it feels a little weird. <laughs> so it's like, I, I have enjoyed the release that it has given me because I realized how on I was always, I was always on, on means like I was here, here, there. Here. And so when I, I delegated to her, um, I gave her my phone, which was very weird. I had to get a new phone number and it's, it's free. Even though I don't have control, she's been doing good. She, I mean, she makes mistakes, but for the most part, she's doing good and has allowed me to do other things. Like people have been asking me to teach. So I've, I've started making a course, I'm doing mentoring. And okay. I feel like I'm going into this, this new path in my life, transitioning from active investing to passive investing, which is another whole nother learning experience for me. It has to be a struggle for you because I've heard you mention the word control multiple times. Like, so you like to control your deals. You like to control everything. Yeah. So how, how was that adjustment? Like, was it very, like, was it difficult? I'm still, adjusting. I'm still adjusting. Yeah. So the thing that I love about real estate is that I have control. I don't like the stock. I don't like crypto because no control. It feels like gambling. And it's like, I have control over the properties to buy. I have control over how much I spend in there. You know, contractors think that they have control. I'm like, no, that's fine. It doesn't have to be replaced. You can fix it. So I have control over how much I spend. I have control over the tenants who I put in there. I have control over everything. I have control over my loans. I know when it's good. I know when it's bad. I know when I can restructure. I know when I can pull out. I know everything. I am in control. So that's why I feel like I have done good in real estate because I have, I mitigate the risk. You know, people keep saying how risky it is. But like, no, it's not risky when you have control. It's calculated mm -hmm. risk. So I don't feel like it's risky because I know what I'm doing. I'm in there. I know every step in the game. Because I started when I was young, I didn't, I didn't have any money. I had to learn all the steps in it. So I feel like I understand it fully. I'm in control, but now that I am training someone else, um, I've learned more about myself too. I learned about myself and kind of what makes the machine work. Um, I realized how good I was with tennis. I realized how good I was with contractors and um, trying to teach someone else. I'm like, I, I need her to read a bunch of books. <laughs> so <she laughs> the perspective about how, how you work with people and how, you, how to understand people. Because it really is a people business. I tell people it is not about the dollars. It is about the people. People who have not been getting paid during a pandemic, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's because you have a bad relationship with your tenant. People who I know who have, who have um, good tenants and good relationships with their tenants, they, they get paid. So yeah, I think it's- true. Is yeah. I had a mentor tell me a long a couple of years ago and it changed everything. He said, no matter what business you're in, you're in a customer service business. Yep. Every business is a customer service business. Yes. And that includes you have to understand people. You have to understand people and know how to treat people and not take things so personally and try to have their perspective. So I think that really helps. I say try to learn from try to see things from their perspective. You know, try not to always focus on you. Always look at the big picture objective of what's better for the business and for everybody. Yeah. So another thing is, I mean, you talked about you talked about your husband and how to combine. You got you have about two hundred properties, right? And um, you know, he's an investor as well. So let me ask you this question: How important is it to have a partner where you guys are on the same page with the same goals? Like, how has that helped your business? Um, 
I mean, we're, I think because I got to teach him mm-hmm. that, and he was very teachable. Not everyone is teachable. Um, you know, having the mindset to do this business is a huge shift. You have to be open-minded, open-minded, but not gullible, I should say. Um, okay. And just understanding that there's a better way to do things, you know, um, using a credit card, it's his first property. He was really, really nervous. <laughs> Especially the, there, there was a roofer and um, he was talking about the roof. He said, this is a total ripoff. And he thought he meant the property. So he, got, he didn't even tell us, but he said he was nervous. Like he bought a bad deal. And he was like, oh my God, what did I do? But um, he trusted me. He trusted me because I've been doing it for years. Um, I was like, yeah, use a credit card, use this hard money loan, buy this big old building. And so when he saw it, when he saw... Um, he got the cash out, like almost $20,000 first deal. So started cash flowing immediately. He got the Section 8 money. And it's just like, he saw it. So once he saw it, he trusted me. He trusted the process. And he was just on board. And he called on really quickly. I'm so proud of him when he talks. I'm like, oh, my God. He has his own mentor, mentees. They're doing mm-hmm. well. They're refinancing. They're cash flowing. So it's just, I'm, I'm so proud of him. He did. Yeah, and he made it. He admits it. He says, listen, you told him everything. So that, that's amazing. So you guys um together is a powerhouse. That's That's, that's dope. That's dope. So uh, along this journey, right, from, um, you know, starting where you are, because you talked about working a government job. How long was it um, into that government job before you decided to walk away and say, I'm just going to go do real estate full time now? It was eight years. It was eight years. I left when I was 30. I started working out at 22. And my goal was to leave at 30. And not even like I'm 30, I'm going to leave. I was going to work as long as I could. But Mm -hmm. 30 was just like one of those numbers that people throw out there like I'll be a millionaire by 30 but things just kind of happened that showed me it was time for me to leave um it was when we were having like the, the great recession and they were having pay raises which it didn't really affect me because I had real estate income but the biggest thing was that they had a hiring freeze and then they offered a buyout so all the older people they gave them bonuses to leave early so once it was like maybe like 10 people who left a lot of people were in the the department that I worked in. So what happened was they dumped a lot of work onto me. And because um, at the time, I've like always been a yes person and I just do, do everything I asked for. I've always been a hard worker and I feel like they took advantage of me. Mm-hmm. So I was doing all the work from all these different people. And it was not only was it like burning me out, um, people were like in my office at 7.30 when I walked in, I'm like, no, I need to get in here and have my coffee <laughs> and relax, check my bank accounts. Like you do not like, I'm a good worker. You don't have to micromanage me or check up on me. So because of that, um, other things happened. Like my mother had a surgery and I asked if I could leave for a month to help take care of her. And during that month, I stumbled across so many deals. Like (laughs) I just happened to like be in the right places meet the right people like I would not have had these opportunities if I was working and I was like this is it I need to leave like this is officially an opportunity cost me being me being at work yeah and so um I when I came back from that month off I told my boss I said I'm going to leave in about six months and uh he he did a complete 180 he used to be a good boss um and when I told him I was leaving he switched on me he started making it hard for me he was like filing complaints and 
Um, it was just more, even more confirmation. At the time, did everybody at the job know that you were investing on the side? Um, they, oh, no, so I didn't tell anyone. I've always been really quiet about it. Um, when I first started, when I got my very first property, my, my dad's property, um, I told my boyfriend, he was very, my boyfriend at the time, he was not interested at all. He was like, I don't want to see no effed up property. And I told my best friend, she was like, oh, and she like went on to about her own thing. So I kept it pretty quiet. I didn't tell anyone because it seemed like it wasn't cool. So I didn't really tell people about my job. I told a couple people who were who were like an operator in the pilot plant and they would give me advice about houses and all that stuff because they were like really hands-on and mechanical people. Um, so I didn't really tell anyone, no one really knew. And when I, the word got out that I was leaving, people were saying like, you're too young to do real estate. And I was like, I've been real estate for years. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, let me ask you this question. What, what year was it when you first started? 2004. Okay. All right. See, all right. So now I have someone else who's went through 08, right? So yeah. how did, how did 08 affect your business? Well, because of the way I invest, I'm a cash flow investor. Mm -hmm. So um, everything I buy cash flows and because I do section eight, all my money is guaranteed. So I didn't feel a thing. And before it happened, I saw all the signs, like the same thing that people do, are doing now. They're paying too much for houses that were in really good shape. They were doing, they were ripping everything out, even though it wasn't that bad. And, um, and, and they were flipping them at, and they were flipping at them at like a, I just felt like the margins weren't really that high enough to do these total rehabs on these houses that were already in good shape. Yep. So I already saw those signs and I, I see those signs again now, but um, I wasn't affected. Remember when I'm not a flipper, um, I, do, I do cash flow and I invest in section eight. So all my money was always safe and reliable. So. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I, I, I like to I like to see people that actually have been through that though, because I agree with you. I see the same signs yep. to the point now where um, I just put something in the contract this week, but it's the first time in a while because I'm saving money because <laughs> in case things go bad again, I'm looking for some deals. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I can't wait. I have these four houses I'm working on now, and I really want to refinance so that I can get that cash and just be ready because it's just a matter of time. People keep saying that that we're being naysayers, but it's just a cycle. It, it, it happens when when the interest rates go down, everything gets inflated. People start spending money. They start investing. They start putting money in stock market, real estate, everything, and it gets overvalued. The prices mm -hmm. of it go up. And inflation goes up. And to control inflation, they have to do something. And what they do is they increase the interest rates. And so when it happens, like things just stop. They yeah. stop. It's like a grand old party. And it's like, ah! Yep. <laughs> and so, and so it, it, it happens. It's just a part of the cycle. We're not being like gloom and doomers. It happens. So people who get caught with you know their pants down doing flips that they didn't finish or or leveraging all this money buying buying um cars for toro it's like it's just going to happen we're not we're not saying anything bad about toro or real estate you know it's everything it's going to happen real estate too it's just yeah. it's a motorcycle yeah that's interesting um because i i believe it's going to happen too um yeah. eventually eventually we'll see how long this one uh, can ride yeah out. it depends on covid this we are in unprecedented times so if covid goes wild and crazy like for the winter time like it seems like it's going to be they probably won't um drop interest rates so they're going to keep them low try to keep everything going just keep giving out money so just enjoy it yeah so it sounds like you um you already answered this question though you do a lot of section eight so um yeah. do you do all section eight or just like um, most section eight i do all section eight and all other programs because once you're in section eight and you advertise on a section eight website they contact you so i've done other programs too but mostly section eight after all the ones that i've tried they've been the most uh, reliable yeah yeah i mean i love section eight too although 
I had a lesson myself with Section 8. When I first started accepting Section 8, I wasn't like doing background checks because I was like, they're going to pay me anyway. Yeah. And I, that was a disaster. So I realized I still have to check them too. But anyway, um, so you do all Section 8 and you talked about just being a buy and hold investor. Um, have you done any flips? Like wh what made you jump right into being buy and hold? A lot of people try to start out flips and end up in buy and hold, but it sounds like you've always been a buy and hold investor. Yeah, um, because of my personal finance background, I am very into taxes and not paying them. So okay. it just seems like buy and hold investing was just the, the smart thing to do. I mean, when you cash out, you get like tax-free money. When you get cash flow, with, because of all the deductions and depreciation, you pay like no taxes. And so when you flip, you experience a loss when you pay taxes. But when you refinance, yes, you're leaving money in the property, but that's equity. That's still my money. So mm -hmm. because of that, and because of appreciation and compounding, I've always seen the benefit of holding. And the only difference is, is managing tenants. And if you're someone who can manage contractors, you can manage tenants. It's all like the same principles of knowing how to work with people. So I'd rather uh, learn tenants and then pay taxes. It's all about keeping all the money for yourself because you, whatever you have to spend is a loss. It's an opportunity loss. And since I'm not spending it, I'm keeping it and it's growing, compounding exponentially. Hey, that was a gem right there. That's, that's, that's an amazing piece of advice. Um, let me ask you this question. Along this journey, uh, what has been like, you know, something that you had to overcome or your biggest hurdle or obstacle? And I'm, pr I'm pretty sure you had a lot, but uh, what's something that you can remember that, you know, because you started from where you are, you told, talked about your background and, you know, mm -hmm. now 200 units, you know, um, amazing portfolio. What has been like one of the hurdles that come to mind? Is something that you had to overcome? Um, the biggest hurdle for me um, is managing family and real estate. Real estate has always been a passion to me. I love it. It's fun. It's like inventing it's, it's making money out of thin air sometimes. <laughs> and um, when I started having kids, it's like immediately shifted to my kids. And cause you love them so much. And so I've been torn between the two of like, do I be this awesome mom? Do I be this real estate investor? And um, I still battle with it. And managing both has been hard. Um, like any other mompreneur would tell you, it's hard to do both. You want to be the perfect mom and, you know, still make money because you still enjoy it. I enjoy making money, enjoy working. I can go in like a wormhole and focus and just and look up stuff and figure out problems. Because it's just what I like. That's what I like to do. So I think throughout the journey, that's been my biggest structural uh, of managing or balancing both family life and, and um, oh, that's work life. That's definitely understandable. So now, how, as your kids grow and get age, how would you like involve them or try to teach them the business? I guess that's probably the goal to like, you know, this is, yep. you're, building this, you're building this empire for them. That's so right. so how, how will you try to do that? Is that something you thought about? So yeah, yeah, definitely. So my oldest is eight and then I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And um, I thought that I try to teach them business. I try to teach them principles and values. My biggest principle of value is uh, accountability integrity and discipline. So I just try to always teach them to be accountable. When something happens, I'm like, okay, so what could you have done to prevent this from happening the next time? You know, so I try to just teach them those things. I teach them about being honesty and, and also being good to people and treating people right. So those, if I can just teach them those values and principles, I think that they'll be successful no matter what they do. And then as they get older, I'll teach them about money and business and wealth. Um, and and hopefully pass on a big a big legacy. That's an amazing answer. It's about values and principles. Yep, that's what it's about. Oh, that's excellent. Um, 
I don't know what to say. I say that's a great answer. It's about values and principles because that's no no one really ever says that. But anyway, people always start talking about the numbers and the, and the, and the instruments and things like that. Well, but it's actually about values and principles. You always have to know like what you got to focus on. Like in real estate investing, I tell people focus on the cash flow. Focus on the cash flow, and everything else comes with it. You'll get appreciation. You'll get tax benefits. Like just focus on the cash flow. What people focus on establishing trust with them. Focus on um, seeing things from their perspective. So it's like certain things you just have to focus on. With your kids, you want to focus on the values and principles. So it it helps you from being distracted about having to manage so many different things and be perfect about what. So I say, focus on these things that matter and other things they come with it. That's another gem. You ahead dropping gems. Just focus on the cash flow. I mean, actually, I'm sitting there taking notes. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. that, that's an amazing answer. Like, you know, if you fo- you figure out what to focus on, so you don't get distracted. Like, just yep. focus on the cash flow. That's an amazing answer. So let me ask you this: You talked about a couple books that you read. Um, you know, during your journey that, uh, you know, helped you. What is your favorite book or a couple books that inspired you that you could recommend if someone was trying to get into this business or do what you did? So I haven't read this book since I read it 20 years ago, which is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. Um, so that really taught me about leverage and helped me get comfortable with it, investing and running things as a business. So that's kind of what I do. I invest, but I run it as a business. And so with that, I'm able to like just multiply the returns. Um, And then the other book that I always recommend is How to Win Friends and Influence People, because that teaches you the core principles of how to treat people. And like we said earlier, with being in any business, knowing how to treat people is, is key and you'll be successful once you know how to do that. People need to stop criticizing and taking things personally. And once you stop doing that, you make people feel important. You see things from their perspective. It just becomes so much more clear. So everyone should read that book, read it like once a year. Yeah, yeah, Cashflow Quadrant is one of my favorites. It's funny because everybody likes Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but Cashflow Quadrant is probably my favorite Kiyosaki book. And it's funny, I love when people bring that up because everybody takes something different from that book. Because what I took from that book was um, when he broke down the quadrants, you can see it. So it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But, but what I took from the book is no matter where you are, everybody can be in the eye. Yep. Right. So even if someone is working in nine to five, you still can be in the eye. If you yeah. are self-employed, you can be in the eye. If you have a big business, you can be in the eye. So mm-hmm. but anyway, so that's an excellent book. Excellent recommendations. And for those that haven't read the books, please read Cashflow Quadrant. Yeah. So- I try to really tell anyone like you can invest like. Try to make it so any money that you earn, you invest it as soon as possible, just so your investments can eventually pay for your lifestyle and then your liabilities. Like just pump all the money into become an investor. Like as an investor, I invest first and I invest last. I invest any money that I earn and then money that my properties make, I live off of that. So, and it's like all a mental thing. Like it can all be going in the same pot, but no, I'm like, if I make $10,000 over here from like a speaking engagement, it's going into my whole life insurance pot, which is a whole nother uh, topic. And then it's going into a property. And then I live off the cash flow or I live off the cash, the cash out. You know, it doesn't matter. But as long as it goes directly to a property first, um, my money is going to have the longest path possible before it goes to a liability. So you're an infinite banker too, sounds like. Yes, I am. Ah, now see, <laughs> I, know, I know I said I wasn't going to bring this up. But you can do the same thing with crypto, the same exact thing you do with infinite banking. But that's a, that's a whole other side. But um, same because, thing. because you can loan against it, right? Yes, you can, yeah. you can actually get get cash flow and borrow from it and then put it back. Like you can create your it own. It just seems bank. so risky and volatile. It isn't. Like if if I get a loan against it and it drops, 
But you said it, but the thing is, you can take a certain percentage where that won't happen. It's the thing known as a health score. I don't mean to take, take us off the rails, but you can, it is possible to make it non-risky and you can use stable coins to do the same thing. And a stable coin is pegged to the dollar, meaning it doesn't move anyway. Um, but you don't have the upside of the appreciation with the stable coin. I don't care about appreciation. I care about cash flow. So if there's yeah. a stable coin out there, maybe that's what I should. Uh, but we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk. But I just wanted to like bring that up because if you if you do infinite banking, then it will make perfect sense because- Yeah, uh, I feel like like I feel like real estate is infinite. You put money it in, is. You, no, you burn it. That's the key. That's the key to all investments to me. Even it when is. you're in the stock market. It's because what you're doing is you're creating your own bank, right? Mm -hmm. Every property you buy is essentially a bank. Yes. When you think about it, that we can get cash flow from it. You can, you yep. know, use it as leverage. So mm -hmm. every every property is a bank, but you can do the same thing with other asset classes. But with that being said, let me ask you this though: you talk a little bit about like you know now learning to teach and mentor and speak. Um, is that the future for your business? What is the future for your business? Yes. So I think I feel like all this. So I wasn't on Instagram before. I thought it was all about um, ratchetness and you know jokes. I mean, it's still but, some of that. <laughs> but my um. My daycare got on air, and so I wanted to see my kids in daycare. So I got on Instagram, and I followed my, my realtor, and I saw who she was following, and she was posting like stuff from kitchens and, des and designers, and there was like business quotes, and I felt myself getting inspired. And I was like, "What is going on here?" So I went into like this Instagram wormhole, and then I started posting things myself, and people kept saying how inspired they were and how amazed they were, and they were asking me if I if I was a mentor or if I didn't teach. I was like, "No." Um, so-and-so let's teach him while she go ask him or her. And the more I got on there, I saw what people are teaching. And I wasn't agreeing with everything. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should start teaching because I think a lot differently than other people. And so um, when COVID happened, it kind of forced me to get a property manager. And I realized that it gave me the free time to teach and focus on that. So um I think everything happens for a reason. When people kept asking, I'm like, you know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then things just started lining up. Um, people started asking me to do podcasts. Um, people were asking me to do like be a speaker. And so I'm like, all right, maybe this is what I should be doing. I'm like, all right, God, you know, I was kind of fighting this for a long time because I've been very comfortable doing real estate investing. It's like, I know it. I don't have to be out of my comfort zone. Like being on Instagram, being doing these podcasts, I never thought I would be doing a podcast. I don't like talking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being a speaker, being in front of everyone. You know, no one likes public speaking. And me being an mm -hmm. introvert, um, I have other issues that makes me not want to speak, but um, I realized that I feel like this is what I should be doing and that's how things are happening for me. So I think it is where I'm supposed to go. Now you have an amazing story and a lot of people probably will resonate with your story and you can help a lot of people by speaking. Um, yeah. And by the way, everybody, make sure you follow her on Instagram. She's an amazing follow because I've seen you in people's comments when you disagree. Like you go right in their comments and tell them like, nope, that's not how it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I keep my mouth shut a lot. I don't say a lot of things. I don't want to make people feel like I'm criticizing them, even though I'm really trying to help them. But people don't take it uh, well. So I just, I try to just say a little bit just to get them thinking. Um, and uh, no, I, I think it's funny. No, I have no problem with it. I think, you're, I think, listen, you're an amazing follow because like you kill reels. Like you, you got the number one reels. And I see you clap at people in their comments. So it's amazing. It's amazing to see. I try to behave. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've said some things and the is like, take that down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So listen, with that being said, I just want to say thank you for um, sharing your story on our platform and, um, you know, and make sure you go out there and tell your story because a lot of people need to hear it because you can inspire a lot of people. Listen, yeah. I wrote a couple things down, man. Like, you know, just focus on cash flow. Yep. That's, that's, that's a bar right there. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. the whole tax thing. Like, so you, you, you have the knowledge, you have to share it. I mean, it's your duty to share it at this point. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel, especially for people who don't know that it's possible to be wealthy from real estate. You know, especially for, for kids, I want to make sure I do um, outreach at high schools and colleges so that they can get started early. You got to plant that seed early. That was really what gave me a huge leg up is finding out early. So I want them to see me, see that I'm successful, see that I'm not a rapper, I'm not a model, I'm not any of these like, you know, um, traditional things. I majored in engineering and then I applied the knowledge that I learned from money and personal finance and apply that to real estate and um, made it into a huge portfolio worth over $10 million and growing and that it's really possible. I have one last question for you, right? Mm-hmm. So as an engineering major and an engineer, had that, has that helped you at all in real estate in any Absolutely. way? How is that? Because in engineering, you learn the fundamentals of everything. So I understand how water flows. I understand how heat transfers. I understand um, forces and structure. And so I understand everything that deals with the house. So because of this, my electrician can talk to me. My plumbers can talk to me. And they know that I understand. Um, I can pick up things in construction easily. So um, when people try to say new people who I might work with who might not know that I understand, they try to make things sound so complicated. I'm like, you know, just put this pipe in here and let it flow down here. So yes, absolutely. Being an engineer gives you a leg up in understanding how a house works dynamically. Okay, nice, nice. So listen, I just want to say again, thank you for your time. We appreciate you so much um, and much continued success. I want to see you uh, have 6 million units. Like I, I just love to see it. It's very inspiring. Um, so, and you can help a lot of people along your journey. So I just want to say thank you for your time. For the folks out there, make sure you follow her and see what she's got going on. If she drops any courses, anything, make sure you support. Um, you know, just give her a follow and, and see her as she builds this portfolio and this amazing life. So I just want to say thank you, Janelle. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And we got to chat about this. Uh, oh, listen, we will talk. Crypto. Hey, we will, we will talk. We will talk. I'm going to have Tracy set up another dinner so we can all go out and just yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. we should. Absolutely. Definitely. So with that being said, listen, um, everybody out there, um, please make sure you subscribe, make sure you share this out, make sure you follow Janelle. And as we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep and elevates. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace. Bye.